Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and 3,000 Years of Longing also describes my mental state waiting for the new Furiosa movie. <laughs> Joining me today is Devendra Hardawar. If I had a wish, uh, I'd want George Miller to make movies forever, because that guy's a genius. And Jeff Kanata. I once was visited by a genie and got three wishes, which is why this show has Dave Chen, Devendra Hardawar, and myself. Oh. <laughs> oh wow that's a nice one it's a it's a heartfelt one jeff yeah nice see done. sometimes yeah. i can be nice mm, nice welcome to the show everyone of course those are all very vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast we're going to be reviewing george miller's newest film Three Thousand years of longing you can always find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com uh, got a couple of corrections, got a couple of film news items this week before we get to what we've been watching, some weekly plugs, and then our featured review. So let's get into it. You know, folks, as much as people tell us all the time, you're perfect. You're perfect. <laughs> never change. No, no. You never yeah. change. The you don't filmcast. forward those emails, Dave. I don't <laughs> I don't see those ones. As, as, as much as people say that literally dozens of times every week, uh, on occasion, we do make mistakes here on the film guest and uh, want to acknowledge some of those mistakes uh, that we've made in the past couple of weeks. Other, others we won't acknowledge. Uh, that's correct. <laughs> we just forget about them. Some that's of true. those we we'll acknowledge. About. Others that's, that's we'll correct. blithely ignore. Uh, okay. Well, let's start with, I'll start with one mistake I made. I guess I guess <laughs> I made. Tobias writes in, quote, to slash filmcast.gmail.com, quote, Hey guys, as a German guy living in Berlin, I took much pleasure in Dave's attempt to pronounce the beloved Wolfgang Peterson submarine movie Das Boot in the recent episode. Yes. I appreciated the effort, but let me put it like this. Given Dave's pronunciation, it took me a moment to realize what movie you guys even meant. Because we were all saying Das Boot. Because <laughs> yeah. we were all saying Das Boot, but I have since learned yes. how to pronounce Das Boot, and therefore the email is incomprehensible because I read it correctly. I, I think this will teach uh, everybody something because I have never heard. Like I, I have talked with people about this movie. I've talked with people who've seen this movie and everybody says dust boot. So, I agree. Yeah. I, you know, even in college and yes. film studies yes. classes, they refer to it as dust boot. I definitely remember a professor doing that too. So yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, also Tobias has got a mouth on him because it's like, I couldn't even understand what you're talking about. Really? Tobias? Really, Tobias? <laughs> a, a Wolfgang Peterson movie that started with DOS? You couldn't figure it out? <laughs> not anyway. a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> not, not a long term. We're dumb Americans, you know, like we, we pronounce things badly. But yes, it's, I, I looked it up. It's Das Boot. So sorry das about Boat. that. Uh, well, finally, and, I understand know, what you're talking about. L looking back on it, Das Boat does make more sense as a title. It given makes complete the, uh, sense, yes, yes. <laughs> given what the movie's about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, Tobias continues, being a smartass and teaching you German pronunciation is just an excuse for me to write in and throw a big thank you your way. You guys are the reason I started listening to podcasts. Please keep up the great work. And whenever one of you happens to be in Berlin for a visit, feel free to let me know. It'll be a pleasure for me to invite you to dinner somewhere and talk movies in my stupid German accent. Best <laughs> as regards, long as Tobias. there's no pronunciation, you know, as we're talking. Yeah. Sounds like Tobias is enjoying some schadenfreude. <laughs> I believe so, that's pronounced schadenfreude. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, a Kafka-esque nightmare of an email. <laughs> Kafka. <laughs> I don't know. Is, is Kafka German? I think so, right? Anyway. Uh, okay. 
more corrections. Uh, mm-hmm. Last week on the podcast, it was indicated that Rami, the Hulu oh, yes. original series, might have been canceled. Yes, many people were alarmed at this statement. Um, well, we were we were waiting. I know a lot of people were waiting for the premiere date for like what was happening with season three, and we didn't hear anything for a while, and then that was just announced. So yeah, yeah. So hey, Rami has not been canceled. Yes, go ahead. Real yeah. quick correction. Uh, we sometimes we like to acknowledge our corrections from uh, fourteen seconds ago. Uh, <laughs> It turns out Kafka is Czechoslovakian. So. Oh, mm. Jesus. Mm. Sorry. That's my ba- <laughs> this is very embarrassing. I apologize. But thank you. You did speak German, though. So oh, yes. you're, you're okay. forgiven. Yes. All right. There yes. you go. Okay. Apologies <laughs> about that. Anyway. Um, well, I'm glad now we don't need to do one a, a, a bit next week about this. So, so thank <laughs> you, Jeff. Um, but yes, Rami is premiering, I think, September 30th, I believe, is the Great. season three premiere date. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, but yes, Rami is uh, is a show that uh, is has been renewed. And Devinder, I think you're a big fan of the show, right? I'm a big fan, but also yeah, check out Mo, which is on Netflix too. So like they're they're of a piece. They're brother shows basically. Yeah. And uh, I, I had one other production uh, I wanted to mention, which is uh, Devinder. A couple weeks ago, you mentioned that there is an Eddie Murphy meme with like the the guy tapping his head, but that is uh-huh. actually that is actually not Eddie Murphy in that meme. It is a uh, Roll safe uh, is is the name of the meme, uh, which is uh, the character of Reese Simpson, aka Roll Safe, in the web series Hood Documentary. Uh, so not Eddie Murphy in that, okay. in that meme. Yeah, yeah. So uh, corrections for things that we have gotten wrong on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you everyone for uh, keeping us honest. Uh, you know, I always say love the corrections because if people don't correct us, it means either no one's listening or they have zero standards for us. So. Um, <laughs> Maybe still one of those things is true. I anyway, that was LeVar Burton, actually. Mm, no, it is uh, It is from Roll Safe. It looks a little so. like LeVar Burton. And he's pointing to his head. It looks like a very reading rainbow. Like, I, I was it, just assuming it, it, it was it, reading it's rainbow. Like all over the place. It reminds me of the the other one, which is, uh, was it the Slow Nod meme? Mm, yes. Which is famous actor whose name I can't remember now. But I always thought it was the comedian. So, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, yeah, the actor, by the way, is... Uh, uh, Coyote Iwumi, by the way. Coyote Iwumi is the actor who is in the Roll Safe meme. But I love that meme. It's a great meme. It's a great um, meme. Very and, well uh, used. Very, very yeah. useful. Okay. Uh, so what else do I want to discuss? Let's uh, talk about an email we got to slash gmail.com that's going to lead into one of our uh, very minor film news topics this week. Errol writes in to slash gmail.com with a subject line, Neighbor Movie Shenanigans. Hey guys, Errol from LA here. I heard your recent discussion on the movie theater industry as a whole being in rough shape right now, and I wanted to share a bizarre fact about my local theater here in LA. There's a relatively new line of theaters called Look Dine-In Cinemas, which is exactly what it sounds like, and they have a Mm. bar area outside of the theater I, I like to come in and sit at a little bit before my movie starts so I get to know the workers decently well. Let me pause here for, for a moment. Um, Jeff Kanata, when you were in LA, did you ever recall a Look Dine-In Cinema there? No, no. Yeah. I really, really that. creative naming for this, uh, this chain, huh? I mean, there are a number of theaters where you can have food delivered to you. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the Alamo Draft House model, too. We just really got to boil down our brand to the essential elements. Look! <laughs> Dine-in! Look! Cinemas! <laughs> also, hear the movie, and you're, there are seats here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this theater has themed cocktails and food for movies. 
Think Power of Thor for some blue mixed drink or something, as well as their own cocktails and menu. The bartender drops the bomb on me that these themed cocktails and food are literally just a cocktail or food item already on the menu, but just with the name associated with whatever big movie happens to be that week. (laughs) The double whammy is that the workers are never informed of what cocktail it is. So if someone comes up to order it, they're like, I don't know what that is. For example, there's a drink called The Wolf for Bullet Train, and it's essentially just their house margarita, but they're not told that. Totally bonkers. Not to mention the kitchen staff apparently has no idea what's in some of the dishes that they serve. A worker about to get off asked the bartender what was in the salmon bowl. She said she didn't know and had to ask the kitchen. He went in and asked the kitchen and came back and said, they don't know either? Question mark? <laughs> How is this possible? You know what? The, uh, <laughs> for, for all my complaints about the Alamo Draft House, is at least they do custom cocktails, like a unique thing, and custom menus for most big movies. I, I don't know what's going on over here at Look dine-in cinemas the, if, you, the, the, if you order the salmon bowl <laughs> how is it cre- who if no one knows what's uh, i don't understand yeah. uh, I don't then understand she that. told me that one day before she went to work to try a chicken bowl ordered it and waited all the way up until she was supposed to clock in she went to the kitchen and asked about it and their response was that they just saw it they didn't know how to make it, so they just didn't make it. <laughs> this, theater make the, this theater is the Wild West. Apparently, there's no actual management or training or even simple notifications of what's being adapted for the menu. The theater mm-hmm. itself is nice, however, with good sound, good picture, and quality seating. Yeah. But I feel so bad for the employees just walking around blind, not knowing what the drink being ordered consists of, or if the food being ordered will actually get made. At least the gratuity is automatic, end quote. We we so, got one of those come in uh, nearby to me actually, so maybe maybe I'll partake in this look dying in cinema. Bre- like brewing like the scandal, the end. brewing yeah. scandal over at uh, Look Dine in Cinema. Apparently, <laughs> no one knows what the heck they're doing over there. Um, That's true of a lot of businesses right now, folks. So be be easy on uh, anybody working because it, it's just all new people all the time because these companies can't keep people too. So it's it's a whole. I, oh, I, yeah. I agree. I, I would say you know uh, like. I don't know about you guys, but I'm tipping yeah. extra these days. No matter oh, how, no matter how Be terrible the any place is open, and you can go inside and they they produce something, even if it's bad. Exactly. I mean, hundred uh, percent agree with Devendra. Like. The service industry, it's tough, it's tough to be in the service industry. We should be very grateful no matter how bad the service is. I do think, mm-hmm. however, that this is a failure of management. Yes, you know, like, absolutely. Like they should not be advertising chicken salad or whatever it is <laughs> if they don't know what's in it. Like that's Maybe, not a thing. You know? Have we thought that the name of the theater is the instructions when you order something? <laughs> Look, dine it. You want to know what's in it? Look. <laughs> dine in and then cinema that's uh that's the three instructions uh-huh. that you've got mm-hmm. it's also mm-hmm. look is capitalized so you have to shout it <laughs> look mm-hmm. what's in the mm-hmm. salmon bowl look i don't know here's a picture <laughs> i wanted to ask you guys also about whether you had an opinion on the themed cocktails like what do you what do you guys think of the yes. themed cocktail as a concept it's a, it's great i think it depends on where you go because I think some you got to have like, you know, your local bar or local restaurants or something that are good at mixing. And then there are bad mixers, you know, so it's like I know liquors I tend to stay away from. Um, so that, that's how it goes with me. Jeff, do you do you drink a cocktail when you go to a party? Like what's no. your you, you don't you, I'm, you don't drink I'm boring. I'm not a cocktail guy. No. Yeah. 
No, I'll have a glass of wine every now and then, but I've mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have repeatedly tried in my life to uh, be be cool and hip and, and enjoy uh, cocktails and liquor, and ah. I'm just not that guy. I'm not they're, that. Guy. They're, I'm not they're all like virgin things you could have, Jeff, and also mm. like really light things if you want just like a little buzz, you know. But don't don't want to go it's, too hardcore. I guess yeah. it just soda it, mixes are great. It does nothing. I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am a constant disappointment to all of my friends and family. People, there's <laughs> something about friends, not family, drinking. podcast hosts. Yeah, 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 everything. yeah, yeah. I, I'm <laughs> open to all mixed drinks except Negronis, and I am I'm very much anti Negroni. I don't know if you guys have ever partaken in these things, but they uh, over the past decade have swept New York. They are mm. everywhere. They are they are a trend, and I hate them. So I'm just putting my foot down there. Wow. Okay. I think a themed cocktail is kind of an interesting idea because you're translating usually like a movie into basically a format that a movie is not typically in, a.k.a. Flavors and colors, yeah. You know? And uh, also, let me just say, I just generally don't drink at all. So um, I I can't really speak from a place of standing here, but uh, I I do like the idea. It's like, hey, we're trying Mm -hmm. to take this thing that you've seen and make it into something that you taste, which is very uh, Mm -hmm. a a bold effort, you know? It's the adult version of the Denny, like, movie theme menu, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's all it is. Uh, Except with with food, it's like you can make something that physically looks like the item. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can make a thing that looks like Thor's hammer, right, On 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 the plate. Well, you can do that in the in the glass too. You can yeah. you can create something that is an abstraction of of, of the color palette. Mm-hmm. It's all a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, uh, and usually the ingredients are you know, if it's Thor's hammer, it's like you know, it's like granite vodka yes. and you know, Molnir. You know, <laughs> yeah. Throw some Molnir slices in there. Um, anyway, uh, if you happen to go to look dine in cinema. Uh, good luck and may God have mercy on your soul, I think is kind of... I mean, good luck with any dine-in cinemas right now, too. Like, uh, they're, they're, it's rough. It's rough out there, and I still feel icky about, like, taking off my mask during movies, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, speaking of uh, movie theaters, one of the phenomenon that has dominated movies over the course of the last year is Nicole Kidman's AMC pre-roll. Uh, and this is the, th- the bit where she says, heartbreak feels good in a place like this, and I want to ask you guys... When you go to see a movie at an AMC these days, what is the set of emotions that washes over you when you see Nicole Kidman appear on screen with that ad? Because for me, it's comfort. I like it. <laughs> well, that's what she says. It's it's it's. Doesn't she say no, something no, no, about the comfort? ad itself though? Not like the actual movie. I'm I'm saying like a lot of people are annoyed because you have the AMC trailers, you got the mm-hmm, AMC mm-hmm. pre roll, you got the Dolby pre roll, and then you have the the Nicole Kidman ad. It's like too many ads, but it's like you know what? Every time I feel like. I can't wait for the movie to just start. And then Nicole Kidman appears on stage. I'm like, you know what? Heartbreak does feel good in a place like this. And I'm grateful <laughs> that Nicole Kidman is here to tell us about it. For sure. For sure. Um, we are, we are basically, it's, it's like Stockholm syndrome. I feel like we are so grateful to go back to theaters. Like, yes, Nicole Kidman. Sure. Whatever. People make fun of the regal one, which has uh, Danny Trejo and is just like people talking in movie quotes. But you know what guys, after seeing it 50 times, I, it, it feels like home. It also feels wow. like home. Yeah. All right, we we at some point need to do a kind of takedown slash commentary of that regal pre roll. Like that is that is kind of on my it's list. Vi- of things it's already for us dead. To do. You don't need to take it down. It's mm. it's barely alive. But Jeff it, Kanata, it's corny. It's great. They, al- they also show the the kid who now does not throw his popcorn, but he's yes. always 
he's still there. Uh, Correct. And he would cut away just well, before he loses it. What, what's amazing, too, about that ad is they have photoshopped Coke Zero onto some of those cups, right, for the AMC pre-roll. I don't know if you've noticed this. I have not noticed that. On the I'm not looking at the cups. I'm enraptured by the performances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like the, the cups now say Coke Zero, which did not exist at the, like literally the product mm -hmm, did not mm -hmm. exist at the time that that uh, pre-roll was made. So, is that so? Yeah. That's great. It, so, it is kind of funny is how like, Zero? a lot of ads have just like started defaulting <laughs> to the low calorie or no calorie drink. I'm like, that, that's pretty great because we are poisoning ourselves with these things. Mm -hmm. Coke oh, Zero think, was yeah. introduced yeah. in 2005. Coke Zero huh. was introduced. So, huh. and that that ad has definitely been going on longer than that. I think. Wow. Um, wow. So, well, and look, certainly the the updated branding was was relatively recent. I think mm -hmm. in 2017 it was relative. It was when that was introduced. So, um, anyway, Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on the AMC Nicole Kidman ad these days? I my favorite uh, little mini game to play during that ad is to uh, try to pick out the various inconsistencies of her accent yes because <laughs> yes. she's a delight uh, a very talented uh actress who uh has by virtue of the fact that she's been in the industry for decades uh been forced to uh do an american accent for a long long time and it you know she's australian obviously and uh I, you can watch in real time those two things battling each other in front of you every single time i watch the ad i'm always curious when she says you know, our, our heroes feel, feel, you know, um, feel larger than life or whatever. And then she, and then she ends the ad by saying, because here they are. And they are. I'm always trying to think, I'm always trying to figure out like, is she saying they are, or they like, they, they are. are with her accent. Like I, do, I couldn't try wait, to figure wait, wait, it out. What? The, What's like, the two? Like, I, I'm, I can't even do a good, that, that's the thing is they're virtually indistinguishable. Like if you said they are with an Australian, Jeff, say they are with an Australian accent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess. I guess that's. Then she's probably doing it kind of with an American accent. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. But like, okay, it, it, it fluctuates, right? Because you know, it just feels like she's in this. She's in the uncanny valley of <laughs> accents now. That was know? pretty good, Jeff. That was pretty good. Anyway. Thank you. Uh, well, the big news is that the contract with Nicole Kidman only lasted one year. So it was going to wrap up sometime in 2022. Uh, but recently, after being uh, sort of told about the viral nature of the ad, the CEO of AMC said, you know what? Maybe we can sign on for an extension of that thing. Maybe and it this turns is a good use of our money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it turns <laughs> out that the ad is getting a sequel. According to VanityFair.com, Billy Ray, the screenwriter behind Nicole Kidman's <laughs> beloved ad for AMC theaters, has confirmed exclusively to Vanity Fair that a sequel to the viral ad is already in motion. Quote, I got a text from the chairman of AMC a month ago asking me if I would write the next one. And of course, the answer to that is yes. It's already written. <laughs> it's already written. It's already written. It's in my brain. You got guys, <laughs> Billy Ray. Billy Ray. That guy is great and has kind of like been working in the background quite a bit. Like I loved his early movies and I'm I'm glad he's behind this. He, yes. He's just like behind everything. He was behind he did the screenplay for Terminator Dark Fate. Um I loved his Who early like get the screenplay for that. I love it. It's the, fun. 
the uh, yeah, actually, that's that Jeff, was that's, a good one, that's one of the least terrible Terminator sequels. That was a yeah. good. That was a good Terminator sequel. Terrible. But also, Prior, like his his early movies, like Shattered Glass and Breach and stuff. Like yes. I love those movies. As yeah. this article outlines, prior to writing the iconic line, somehow Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Ray was primarily known as an accomplished screenwriter, penning films like Flight Plan, The Hunger Games, Richard Jewell, and Captain Phillips, for which he received an Oscar nominations. Absolutely. Uh, Ray said, when Nicole first asked me to do it, I was just doing it as a favor. I said I'd do it for free because I was a fan and a friend of hers. Luckily for Ray, his agent cautioned him against doing the gig for free. My agent said, no, that's not what's happening here. You need to be paid for this. And turns out- Have you seen their stock? You gotta gotta get paid. Turns out my agent was right because it had real value, end quote. So (laughs) there is is a sequel in the works. This to me feels like, I am very curious how the sequel to this is going to go. Yeah. Is there any way we talk about how sequels rarely live up to the original? Mm-hmm. Is there any way this can does it no, so the question is, is it in the shadow of its own memedom? <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. It does it try to recapture the earnestness of the exact, first? Exactly. It's gonna be it, Nicole Kidman it, in the theater watching Nicole Kidman on the theater <laughs> yeah, screen. Brilliant. Yeah. And they it's say a, together it, to each other like a monster. It can't help but be self-aware, right? Yeah. It can't yeah, help but be uh so I feel like it's kind of impossible to be <laughs> genuinely earnest again because now this you is, know what you're making. You know this you're is making the microcosm something. of the sequel problem of when yes. you have a hit. And now you right. produce a follow-up, man. This is, uh, you know, this is like Boba Fett being in the prequels. You mm-hmm, know, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's like it's the same magnitude of cultural impact. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Ray says, "What's going on for the sequel?" He says, "Quote: I'm very excited about it." Uh, when asked what the ad might look like, he says he's very tight-lifted, but he said, quote, all I can tell you about it is that we are not dumb enough to fly in the face of the one we've already done and try to top it. So it's a very, very different approach that is a little bit of a wink to the one we've already done. Yeah, course. it's definitely self-aware. I love Devendra's idea. She sits mm-hmm. down and she sees herself. Yes. Oh, that's and they brilliant. say it together. I, I don't like, know. Like the theater audiences I don't are. know <laughs> if I would be open to like seeing a meta version of the ad like, yeah, nonstop yeah, yeah, yeah. for another year. Like I think meta stuff is really fun the first time and even the second <laughs> mm-hmm, or third time. Mm-hmm. But the 50th time? I'd rather watch an earnest thing for 50 times than a let, meta thing. Let me give you a counter example. Counter that- Counter that me. is uh, actually a thing that happened, and I thought was delightful every time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I was employed uh, in the 90s in a movie theater for several years, and uh, it was one of the first THX-equipped movie theaters. And we had the iconic THX thing, right? And then a couple years later, we had the Simpsons version of that where grandpa <laughs> yep. is there mm-hmm. going turn it up turn it up and that played for very a very long time and every time i, th- I found it funny and delightful and it is absolutely meta it is absolutely making fun of the thing that it also is but it worked well jeff you're talking about one of the greatest pre-rolls of all time though you know like i don't know mm-hmm. that they're gonna be aren't, aren't we also <laughs> We're talking about the sequel to one of the greatest prequels of all time. Well, that's what that is. We'll that's the yeah. that's the the Simpsons is the sequel to the original THX thing. That's true. You know? That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, no, no, no. That's uh, yeah. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Maybe they have the pedigree behind it. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe they will execute. But we will see. 
I'm just saying the meta still... thing could work. I'm, I'm I saying agree, I agree. I, you're, you're right. That's a good counterexample, Jeff. That's a good. No, there, there are a lot of ways it could go. Like they could bring in more people. You could get Tom Cruise in there too, or somebody <laughs> like awkward, awkward, little awkward. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you, it could just be different people saying the same lines. Like make it, make it an anthem. It has mm-hmm. become our national cinema mm-hmm. anthem. So you know, cross this your heart. Is the uh, say the, the we word. are the world approach. Yes. where you just yes. get mm-hmm. all the stars, mm-hmm. all the stars, like, or just normal people. You know. All right. Well. Those are a few film news slash emails for you at the top of the show. Hey, I got to tell you about our sponsor, Quip. Oh, I love talking about Quip. I use Quip every day, multiple times a day. Not many sponsors I can say that about, but Quip has made my life better by making my oral hygiene better, giving me good, healthy mouth habits. That's right. I said mouth habits because good health starts with good habits and Quip makes it easy to get your your mouth, your oral hygiene tip top by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to care for your mouth. What does that mean? That means the Quip electric toothbrush, which is loved by over 7 million mouths, two of which, well, no, four of which are my household. All four of us here, even my little kids have Quip toothbrushes we love them why because timed sonic vibrations with those uh those wonderful 30 second pulses guide you to that dentist recommended two minute clean before i used quip i (laughs) i will admit i rarely brushed for the dentist recommended two minutes now it never fails i don't have to think about it the quip electric toothbrush does all the work plus it's got that lightweight sleek design for adults and kids no wires no bulky charger to weigh you down it's really really slick and i've got that multi-use travel cover i just used that when i was doing my 200 mile uh, relay race hood to coast i brought my quip with me in my travel cover which also doubles as a mirror mount for less clutter i use that as well they've got reusable handles and a range of sleek metal hues it's really just the best toothbrush I've ever owned in my entire life. That's why all my family uses it. That's why all four of us have one. Plus, you can go beyond the brush with Quip. They have everything you need to build a complete routine for oral hygiene, including the anti-cavity toothpaste and mint or watermelon that helps prevent cavities. They got two ways to floss. Their floss string, which expands to clean, and the reusable floss pick that replaces over 180 disposable picks with every refill. They got refillable gum that's sugar-free and has long-lasting mint flavor. It comes with a dispenser as well. Refillable mouthwash that's a 4X concentrate plus good for you and the planet. They've got brush heads, but Quib also delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from five bucks. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. So, if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you can get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Quip, the good habits company. Let's get to what we've been watching. All right, uh, Jeff Kanata, what are some things you've been watching this week? I have another idea, though. I have another idea for the... the, the I can't stop <laughs> working on this. Go ahead, Probably. go ahead, go ahead. Uh, what if what if it's just a number of places where Nicole Kidman is, where she says, heartbreak doesn't feel good in a place like this. And then <laughs> finally, she arrives at the AMC theater and she's, ah, yes, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> she's just, well, 
She's just, it's like the, it's like the, uh, can you hear me now guy? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just have to see whether or not that will measure up to Academy Award winning uh, writer <laughs> Billy Ray's script for the new, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I appreciate the equivalence. All right. Um, <laughs> Things that I have been watching. Yeah, uh, I went to uh, AMC and saw that uh, pre-roll uh, twice this week. Um, I saw. Uh, well, firstly, I want to say <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about Rings of Power, which we're going to wait until oh uh, other folks because we've all watched it. I'm very excited to talk about it. But um, I, I went to the movies and saw uh, Emily the Criminal. Um, and you know it's funny we were just talking about this. Mm-hmm. This episode, with regard to uh, our tipping and everything, I, I was thinking as I watched this movie that we joked about the spirit of Halloween movie announcement and how, you know, mm-hmm. so many people were like, it should be based on uh, the conversation that you guys had in the after dark about spirit of Halloween. That's what the script should be about. Emily the Criminal is the real spirit of Halloween movie. <laughs> what? What? It yeah. is the spirit of Halloween movie. What it is about is exactly what we were talking about. Uh, people of a certain age who recognize mm-hmm. that... Falling into a criminal syndicate? Okay. Systemic problems push them to just not take it anymore. Mm. Well, uh, I mean, Jeff, uh, the Sp- Spirit Halloween conversation was an After Dark discussion, so yes. why don't we summarize what it was before <laughs> you kind we? of... <laughs> well, if you're going to make a reference to it, let's let's explain what it was. I'm but talking previously to the patrons, on. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but basically for, for an After Dark episode available exclusively at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, uh, Jeff Kanata and I had a lengthy conversation that went completely off the rails about whether or not Jeff Kanata was justified to demand better service at his local Spirit Halloween Center. I guess it was almost a year ago now that that conversation happened. Mm-hmm. At least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess because September w- now. Halloween, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So almost a year ago, we had this 40-minute long debate about whether or not Jeff was uh, expecting too much from his Spirit Halloween customer service. Yeah, because um, I expected anything at all. Mm-hmm, yes, that's yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> and I kept, uh, I was reminded of that as I watched Emily the Criminal because Emily mm-hmm, the Criminal mm-hmm. is about someone who is, who's just trying to get by and uh, is kind of forced to, to just not take it anymore and uh, start doing things that they're not supposed to because uh, systemic problems are, are, are oppressive. Um, I, I loved this movie. I thought it was so well done. Um, it, Aubrey Plaza is fantastic in it. There's a guy I don't recall ever seeing before. Theo Rossi is in it. He plays mm-hmm. a Lebanese character. I don't know if he's actually Lebanese. Um, but this dude's a star. He is a star in the making. I have I don't recall seeing him before. He's he's got a number of credits on his IMDb, but we saw him in Army of the Dead, but nobody remembers Army of the Dead. So mm-hmm. yeah, I did watch that. Um Oh, the- you know you know where we saw him. Did you ever watch Luke Cage, Jeff? Oh, yeah. He was that goddamn character I hated. Shades. <laughs> Shades Alvarez. That was him. He wow. was not good in that show. But well, I have heard he, good things about this. He's movie. very good in this movie. Yeah. He's very, very good in this movie. I, I think he's going to have, uh, I think this hopefully will be a uh, a real catapult for him into, into better material because he um, he's great in it. And this movie has shades of... Um, Uncut gems to me, that level of tension, that level of 
of feeling like you're stuck right with this character who's making decisions that seem very questionable at the moment. And oh my God, there's repercussions that are happening immediately. Uh, it is it is taut, it is tense, it is compelling. Uh, I, I really, really liked Emily the Criminal. In fact, I will be surprised if this doesn't make a play for my top 10 of the year. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is quite, quite good. And it's um, very much a commentary on the world right now and the feelings of, of uh, you know, an entire generation of young people who are just getting the short end of the stick. And we have at least one character in this movie who, who makes some decisions to fight back against that. And it's, it's very compelling watching. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I recommend Emily the Criminal. I, I don't think Aubrey Plaza gets enough credit for being like a cinephile and also somebody yes. who's supporting independent cinema as well. Like she starred in a bunch of indies. I believe she married uh, one of the guys she was working with there too. But also she's been, I think, uh, one of the indie uh, film festival awards as well. So I know she like shepherded this movie basically yeah, she, from, uh, from the beginning. She as executive producer on it. Yeah, so, like yeah. she she approved the script and let you like help put it together and everything. So I'm really happy that this movie turned out well. Can't wait to see it. And she yeah. she seems to be choosing really interesting projects. Yeah, for yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. It's not, it's not given that someone, of you know, somebody of her caliber could probably do a Marvel film if she wanted to, you know, but sure. uh, she's doing a bunch of smaller indie films that are really interesting. I really loved her in Ingrid Goes West, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, another great indie film. So uh, Emily the Criminal, out right now in theaters. Uh, it's what Jeff's been watching. He highly recommends. Jeff, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, I think you guys are going to really like it. It's uh, it's it's sharp. Jeff Canada, what else you been watching? I also uh, went to the movies to see a movie called Fall. And let me tell you guys, fall is awesome. Okay. Wow. Awesome. Okay. It's a great concept for a for Okay, a, like, so I, yeah. I love this subgenre of movies. This the, movies like Open Water, uh, that movie Frozen, which, you know, not the not the let it go one, but the the one with the people <laughs> stuck on the Stuck the one on where the they didn't lift. want to let go because yeah. uh, they were stuck and there were wolves. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even the Martian and gravity I put in this subgenre, the subgenre of very few number of people <laughs> stuck in an impossible situation mm -hmm. with like six things. you got six things that you can use. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's, it's, you're, 127 you're, hours. Another yes, good one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I love that subgenre. I love it because I find myself imagining, easily imagining what what I might have to do in that situation. Like, what am I willing to do? Am I are the characters smarter than me? I love it when they are. I love it when they're smarter than me. Is the movie smarter than me? Is the movie, you know, are they coming up with novel solutions to a very very difficult problem? So with fall. <laughs> the idea of this movie is uh, these avid rock climbers uh, ha have a tragedy that happens. And uh, years later, or a year later, they try to overcome that tragedy by climbing a 2,000-foot-tall mm. radio antenna. This is a, a sequel to The Descent, isn't it? Except the other direction. This is The Ascent, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it is... Um, you know, it's it's very much couched in the you know the selfie culture, the TikTok culture, the the get get likes and clicks. Like we're gonna go to the top of this thing just because I want to show my followers, I want to get the get the cool shot of me at the top of it. Uh, but also, we're trying to get over a, a, a sad tragedy, 
and it's gonna we're gonna prove to ourselves that we can do anything. It's these two young women who ascend the top of this two thousand foot tall radio antenna, and then of course get stuck there. Now the beginning of this movie. I was getting the rut row feelings because it really does start like a B movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it really does start uh, not great. But I'm telling you, this movie is awesome. Awesome. I was so impressed by where it goes, what it does, how it surprises, how smart it ends up being. Do you have to suspend your disbelief a few times? Yes. But does it reward you for suspending your disbelief? Abso-friggin-lutely. <laughs> um, it is, I'm, I'm talking palm sweaty, squirming in my seat. I mean, I'm, I'm particularly affected by heights. You know, like watching Free Solo, for example, was a very harrowing experience for me. Um, and this movie delivers on that. And I think the smartest thing it does, the, the best thing it does is it manages to not make you think they're on green screen throughout the movie, which is the biggest hurdle I think a movie like this has to do is not constantly remind you that these two actors aren't actually in this place. That it's, you know, the, the, if it looked and felt like green screen throughout this movie, it would never, never work. But the filmmakers have done a phenomenal job in actually making it believable, make you feel like they are up that high in the elements, really risking their lives. And I know that they weren't, right? I know it's movie magic, but the movie really delivers on, uh, there's a few sequences that, that look, uh, you know, the, the, the effects are uh, just one or two times. I'm like, meh. But for the most part, man, I was in it. My palms were sweaty. I felt like they were at the top of this thing. And I'm telling you guys, this movie is, I was laughing and applauding by myself in this movie theater a number of times. <laughs> it is so much fun. This movie's a blast. It is not attempting to be, you know, attempting to win any Oscars, right? And it, it, it does a, no, a couple of things that you go, you didn't need to do that movie, right? <laughs> Ultimately, in movies like this, I, I, I could not care less about any of the characters, right? You don't need to tell me anything about the characters because the situation that they're in is impactful. We're, I'm already connected to these characters because I can relate to what it might feel like to be in that situation. So I don't need to relate to them because they have parental issues or relationship problems. I don't even care about that stuff. Like just throw me into the middle of the ocean with sharks around me. I'm in, right? So these kinds of movies, I think can eschew some of the convention that they, uh, they fall into, which is, you know, we got to tell you about them. You got to care about them. We need some backstory. I'm like, nah, you, you don't. Cause it just get me in and get me out. That's fine. But this movie is is lean. It, it really doesn't rely on too much of that stuff. And it, it it's, it, it, dude, I had a blast with this movie because of how smart it does. It does that thing that I talked about uh, when we were talking about Prey that, that Dan Trachtenberg pulled off so well. 
which is that thing where you're like, oh, that is a brilliant solution. Yes, of course, that's the way that, oh, that didn't even work. What? And it constantly like shows you this really smart thing and then says, nope, there's a reason why that didn't work. And so it constantly is upping the, the drama, upping the stakes, ratcheting up the tension because you're like, Oh, it's just getting worse and worse and worse for these people. And, and they're, they're being smart and yet it's still not working. How are they going to get out of it? And I'm telling you by the end, the, how they get out of it is baller. It is <laughs> okay. baller. So I, I, I really dug fall. And I th- do think it's a movie that deserves to be seen on a big screen. If you can. All right. The movie's fall. It's available in theaters right now. This is a low-budget horror movie uh, that did mm-hmm. okay at the box office. It, did, it wasn't a huge hit or anything, but uh, it, it also received, from what I can tell, relatively little marketing support. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not like yeah. a lot of people know about this. It's film, being reviewed really well elsewhere too. Like it's yeah, uh, yeah positive. Can't wait to see this. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Jeff Kanata. Uh, okay, I'll mention uh, something I've been watching before we get to a couple TV shows that all of us have seen, um, or most of us have seen. I watched Day Shift. On Netflix. Have you guys heard of this movie Day Shift on Netflix? Yes. I almost watched it last week. Almost. Uh, This was recommended to me by former uh, guest of the show, uh, Aniz Ansari. And uh, I originally didn't really have any interest in this because the reviews weren't very good of Day Shift. Um, But I watched it and I actually had a pretty good time. Now, is this movie going to win any Oscars? No. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, does the movie have anything to say about society at large and uh, or, or anything to say in general, really? Not that I could decipher. <laughs> Is it a really, really fun time where you get to watch Jamie Foxx kill a bunch of vampires in increasingly brutal ways? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it, it is. It, it's from a former stuntman too, so yes. I do like it when stuntmen like start doing action movies because they always do interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, they know how to film action so that like imagine yep, you're yep. a stunt person. You've taken a two by four to the skull for 30 takes and then you watch the final film and you can barely understand what's happening. Mm -hmm, You know, like mm -hmm. I got to imagine that would be very frustrating uh, because the movie has been edited to shreds. Uh, So often when stunt people make movies, they shoot them in such a way that you have wide shots, you have uninterrupted takes. You can see and be convinced that it's a physical human and not some dummy, you know, or doll or whatever that's actually getting uh, like acting in the action scene. Uh, and all that stuff is true of Day Shift. Uh, I think that the action scenes are really awesome. There's a handful of really awesome action scenes. There's actually some really cool vampire mythology in this movie um, where they like divide the vampires into different characters. It kind of hints at this broader world. It's kind of of this category mm-hmm. of Netflix movie that feels like, oh, we're going to make this as the first movie uh, out of a yeah. whole franchise of spinoffs. You They're know, all potential mo- franchise movies. Exactly. Yeah. Movies like yeah. Army of the Dead, although that did get a spinoff. But, mm. you know, Army of the Dead, The Old Guard, now Day Shift, where it's like, oh, uh, the, the Gray Man, where it's like, oh, uh, this is setting up for like a whole bunch of movies based in this world. And, and we never actually see those movies come out in general. Um, that's kind of what it feels like with, with day shift. So I I, I was going to compare this movie, by the way, to Samaritan, which we just reviewed. And, uh, JJ Perry, the director of this movie did the stunts for Samaritan. So the Mm. best stuff from Samaritan is also from this guy. Yeah. I mean, I would say day shift is wildly more enjoyable than, yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted color guys. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's colorful. Uh, I actually think there's, there's a kind of a odd couple dynamic between 
Dave Franco and Jamie Foxx because they kind of pair up a little bit during the course of this movie, you know, lethal weapon style. And uh, yeah, I mean, it gets a little bit repetitive at the end uh, and it, it goes on for probably a little bit too long and gets a little bit too goofy, but I had a really good time with it. Love the villain in the movie. Um, she's chewing up the scenery in a really fun way. So uh, if you are bored and, and want something to put on on the TV and kind of uh, you've had a long week and you, you just want something fairly inconsequential, um, Day Shift, you, you, you could do a lot worse than Day Shift. It's like the gray man with vampires, basically. Uh, <laughs> although I know I know Divinger really didn't like the gray man, but like, you know, for, for people who like the gray man, it's like the gray man with vampires. Uh, I, uh, for this all the good the- and bad that it entails. So. <laughs> I, I watched Coherence last week instead of this. I was like fluctuating back and forth, and then I went with Coherence. I think you and, made the right choice. Yeah, I think you made well, the right I'm, I'm still curious to see it. I, I I think I could have fun with the movie. Yeah, that's Day Shift. It's streaming right now on Netflix. We'd like to take a moment to thank the world of microdosing, specifically our sponsor, Microdose Gummies. Now, you've probably heard about the idea of microdosing as something, you know, a way to take small doses of things like CBD and THC to help you feel a little better, help with anxiety, give you a little creative boost. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies delivers a perfect entry-level dose of THC that'll help you feel just the right amount of good. Now, I've tried a lot of CBD products over the last couple of years, and certainly a lot of oils and things like that. And what I like about Microdose Gummies is that they taste really good. There's none of the oily aftertaste you get from some other products. And it does a great job of just helping me chill out, which is super useful when I'm done dealing with two very young kids every day. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code FILMCAST. Devendra Hardawar. We've been watching a few things on TV, right? Uh, The people who made the Americans made a TV show. Yeah, and that's instant watch for me, by the way, because yes. I'm still missing the Americans. The finale, the Americans, like, left a deep hole in my heart and soul. And just where that series ends just kind of sits with me all the time. So to see them do something new, yeah, I'm on board. Doesn't matter what it is. So there's a new movie, I'm sorry, a new TV show by these mm-hmm. folks out on uh, FX. Joel Fields and Joseph Weisberg, yeah. Yes. Uh, out on FX on Hulu. Uh, the first two episodes are out. I think there's going to be eight to 10 episodes for the whole season. Each episode's 20 to 30 minutes, which is pretty shocking because I'm used to TV shows mm-hmm. in the streaming age being 70 minutes. Honestly, um, closer to 20 for at least the first two I saw. Like it wasn't edging towards 30. It is surprisingly yeah, pro- short. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first two episodes are out. Uh, Jeff, are you okay if we discuss the premise of this movie? Is that cool? Yeah. yeah it's being advertised everywhere. So like, yeah, the yeah, basic yeah. idea is out there. Yeah. So the the premise, which is revealed basically in the first 30 minutes of the show, Mm -hmm. is that there is a therapist, Alan Strauss, who's played by Steve Carell, who becomes held prisoner by a patient, played by Donald Gleason, uh, and that patient reveals that he is a serial killer, uh, and he he wants the uh, therapist to treat him uh, by kidnapping him. And Mm so it's misery uh, meets Dexter. Basically, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. With uh, within treatment in there too, because there, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I, I had a great time with this show. I think it's mm-hmm. really, really good, and Donald Gleason particularly is chilling as his character. Um, but yeah, Dimitri, what do you think? I I love it. Uh, I think the concept is great. Uh, I have not been a huge fan of all of Steve Carell's like very dramatic roles. Yes, agreed. a lot of a lot of comedians have ended up doing this to like you know uh, varied effect. 
I'd say, but I think this is one of the best roles I've ever seen him. Hundred percent agreed. Hundred. I've only agreed, seen yeah. him in two episodes so far, but he strikes me. He's somebody who's kind of in grief. He's in a you know very uh, interesting point in his life, and to go through the situation, I think his relationship with uh, Donald Gleason's character so far seems really interesting. The way he's kind of handling the situation, it also just really makes me want to rewatch Misery because there's a lot of that in this show as well. And I, I appreciate how short it is. I am getting a lot of in treatment vibes from this. I don't know if you guys ever watched that show, but that was like, you know, they, they aired basically an episode per weeknight and they had just a bunch of short episodes for you to like figure things out. Um, get a lot of vibes there. Really well made. And the mystery of it all is really fascinating. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to see more. I would submit that this is Steve Carell's best post office uh, role. Yes. Like yes. this is my favorite post office role that he's had. Forget um, Space so. Force, everybody. Yes. Do not watch Space Force. Do not watch Space Force. But watch The Patient. Now, the only downside of this show, in my opinion, um, this is the, the, one of the only shows I've watched where I'm like, not in, not enough show not enough. is out. There's not enough. Um, I don't think I'm going to watch this week to week. I think I'm going to mm-hmm. wait till mm-hmm. the end because uh, I think I will find the week to week, you know, 20 to 30 minute clips of the show like frustrating yeah. in terms of narrative once you're in um, the vibe of an episode in the world like it ends you know so yeah yeah i'm I, like I, oh I i'm just you. i'm just getting into yeah. it and then show ends and it's like mm-hmm. oh okay you know so uh, i'm probably gonna wait and then like marathon like three to four hours of the show at once but uh i'm having a, a really good time with the patient i think it's really like great great concept great acting relatively low budget you know like it's just really well done uh jeff Kanata, is this a show you're considering um yeah, very much so. I, I really, really wanted to watch it. Um, in fact, last night I I uh, sat down to turn it on and then realized that Rings of Power was available to watch. Yeah. So that's mm, what I watched yeah. instead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's The Patient. It's streaming on Hulu slash FX. But guys, let's get to it. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Really, the really first, redundant title there. Yeah. The, fir- <laughs> the first two episodes. A show of which- about rings, the ring edition. <laughs> Put the mm-hmm. rings on your rings, yeah. <laughs> the first two episodes of which debuted uh, last week. So we just watched this, and Devinder Hardor, why don't you hit us? Like, sure. You're you're an enormous fan of uh, Peter Jackson's Rings yes. trilogy, right? Yes. Less I so think the as, Hobbit, as, as right? many folks are. Yes, I yeah. hated the Hobbit movies. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Going into this. I didn't. I did not really feel super hyped for this. Uh, first of all, because this isn't. Uh, this series is also not even based on like a completed book, right? This is from the the appendices of the Lord of the Rings, like the, the yeah, leftover so, stuff that uh, Tolkien. Uh, and and what on, great yeah. television series based on appendices. <laughs> haven't you enjoyed Devinter? Come on, you know, Amazon has the rights to the Hobbit, the uh-huh. Lord of the Rings trilogy. And the appendices to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but yeah. not to the Silmarillion. That's which okay. Which covers a lot of which, the stuff that would happen. The same, in yeah, the it's show. kind of yeah, the same it's similar thing. similar things, right? But Ugh. yeah. Anyway. So yes, it's based on the appendices. Uh, <laughs> and it takes place roughly a couple thousand years before the events of the uh-huh. Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. Right? Seven hundred and fifty million dollars on appendices. You know that section mm-hmm. at the end of the books, you know, <laughs> it's just all sources. That's what we're basing this whole thing on. Uh, I was not in a mind to really enjoy the show. And let me tell you guys too, I I am not enjoying uh, House of the Dragon, uh, House of the Dragons very much right now I, I think it's fine but i'm feeling a lot of like star wars prequel vibes in there there there's way too much talk about things like trade and and stuff that i i'm just not fully vibing with um so going into this show not not really feeling much of anything also knowing it's the most expensive tv show ever made and i kind of i kind of don't want to support 
that too? I don't know. A billion dollars for a TV show, people? Like, uh, yeah, shows are expensive. Game of Thrones was expensive. Uh, we, we are at a point in the world where thing, things are really messed up, you know? So I, I'm also feeling a bit guilty about, like, getting into this. So, yeah, that, that's my feeling, Jeff. That's all. Uh, we have a city in America right now, many cities, actually, that doesn't have safe drinking water, right? Because uh, they paid Brett Favre all the welfare money, or a lot of it. So... We I are in a, weird time. a huge part of Pakistan is underwater. You yes, know, huge part of Pakistan is like we, we are in a rough place right now in the world. So anyway, putting all that uh, into there, uh, I freaking love this show. I did not Whoa. expect to love this show, but it is giving me all the sort of like high fantasy vibes I love from the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, but also Excalibur, which we've talked about. Like it knows how to be grand and sweeping. Um, it knows how to be fun. Too. like there's a lot of entertaining stuff here too and it can be like badass and can be like good action too there's a bit early on they have an almost uh equivalent scene to the cave troll from fellowship and uh there's something galadriel does she just like jumps on a sword and jumps into the air i'm like god damn it that is so cool that is this is what i'm it's here giving for. uh legolas you know surfing legolas down the vibes. stairs of shield sure, sure. vibes creative yeah, action yeah. so anyway uh i I uh, inexplicably genuinely really love this show and I can, I've seen both episodes so far, which is basically a really long movie too. They're both like uh, the first one is over an hour and the second one's like close to an hour. Yeah. They're both over an hour. Yeah. They're both, they're very long, but I like, I cannot get enough of this. So I I love it. I love the design. Um, Yeah. It's very expensive, but like you could tell also from the, the visuals uh, both from the actual live footage, but also a lot of the like, uh, creative work and the CG work. Like it's just always showing me something that is so freaking cool. And this is kind of like my dream of things I've always wanted to see around high fantasy fiction. You know, this is not a genre I tend to read a lot, but I love to see it on screen. And it rarely gets a chance to like have a big budget and to like just really let their dorky nerd flags fr- of you know fly with a series like this. I really think it's only been the Lord of the Rings series that's been able to do that. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm digging it. I can't wait to see the rest of it. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power? Uh, not, enough rings. not enough rings. Um, not enough rings. Certainly not in the title. Certainly right? not. Uh, mm-hmm. Listeners to the show remember, hopefully, last week when I was uh, talking about how much I was anticipating this. I, I'm sort of opposite of Devendra where I was. I was salivating at this one. This one, I, I had a lot of a lot of high hopes and and I was worried that I was setting the bar too high, but I'm right there with Davindra. It exceeded all of my expectations. Wow. Dude, I love the show. Just like Davindra, man, everything he said, I will echo. It, it, it really shows what you can do when you have no above the line talent and you spend that kind of money on a show. Mm, like, you know what yeah. I mean? We, we talk about these Netflix. Well, well yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we go talk ahead, about go these ahead. Netflix movies where it's like $200 million, $200, dollars right, million right, right. movie. And it's like, well, a hundred million of that went to three people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, this show is like, it's on the screen, dude. It mm-hmm. is on the screen. This is, I think, the most beautiful television show mm-hmm. i've ever seen i watched it in my home theater with great sound you know projected on a big screen and i yeah i honestly think this was this show they set out to make something that could stand shoulder to shoulder with peter jackson's movies 
and I think it absolutely does and might exceed them in some in, in some respects. Yeah, I would say shout out to Jay Bayona. Once again, a guy I talk about quite often uh, because I, I like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I love the orphanage. Uh, I think he has a good visual sense and giving him like just, hey, man, here's basically an unlimited budget to create this wild ass, uh, you know, fantasy world. Um, and he's working with a lot of people, too. But just like his visual sensibilities, like the way he constructs these first two episodes, I thought were really, really well done. It, it looks like a movie. You yes. know, it looks oh, like it's it, it looks like it's an expensive movie. movie. Yes. It, yes. It looks like the best movies. I mean, it is every single prop looks freaking expensive like there's sequences where somebody just picks up a a, a pitcher to pour a drink mm -hmm. and it's like yeah. that looks like somebody spent <laughs> tens of hours and tons yes. of money to create that one tiny little prop when a you know a simple silver pitcher would have worked fine yeah. every every detail just in the way in the same way that when you saw peter jackson's movies for the first time you recognize the fact that they, you know, planted those hobbit huts years in advance and like let things, it, they took the care and effort to make everything feel like part of the world. That's how this show feels too. It, every single thing, every environment, every character, every, it, it all feels expensive and beautiful. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe what I was, was seeing on screen. And the, the story is a blast. I mean, one of the things I love most I, I happen to be really enjoying House of the Dragon so far, mm -hmm. but, but I was a little worried that we were going to get these two competing fantasy stories at the same time. It felt like, oh man, I want these to be separated a bit, but I love They're how- They're definitely very different. Yes. I love how different they are. <laughs> I love how this feels very much like a huge sprawling Dungeons and Dragons quest. You know, it, it is high fantasy. It is- you know, people climbing ice mountains and fighting bad guys and climbing ice mountains with daggers and swords. And Dude. Just like, oh, man. Awesome. It's just the visuals of it. They're like Game of Thrones. You got an ice wall. Yeah. An ice so Game of Thrones is like, pe you know, people sitting around a table debating policy, which, <laughs> hey, I'm down for, right? It's, sure, sure. It's the West Wing of fantasy stories. And I like that it's carved out that neat. And it's like leaned into that even more. It's more focused than the original Game of Thrones series was. It's more focused on that political intrigue and I, i'm digging it but this show i like how this show is just like no we're going crazy pants over the top dungeons and dragons you know we got these incredible um like there's a s section on the water that is just bonkers in the ep second yeah, episode yeah and and it also has time to like go visit the dwarves and have tons of fun and have this really mm -hmm. beautiful heartwarming <laughs> family moment with like great talking character about moments love. too oh, yeah. dude it's yeah. it's so great I'm, i can't believe how much i love it like i i want i i'm rooting for the show i don't know how they make back their money because it's a part of a prime <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's amazon it's yeah, like whatever. i guess yeah. but man i just i hope tons of people are flocking to it mm -hmm. because like i said i had really high expectations and it exceeded all of them awesome i'm glad you liked the Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. I had a good time with the show as well. It's it's interesting to reflect on uh, the journey that this has taken with uh, Game of Thrones as well. Uh, my co-host on A Cast of Kings, Kim Renfro, tweeted that like um, Game of Thrones was probably only possible because Lord of the Rings was successful. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yes. TV show. Yeah. And now um, Lord of the Rings probably 
wouldn't exist if it was not for the success of Game of Thrones. So mm. like, you know, you could say the MCU only exists because of Lord of the Rings. I mean, mm -hmm, literally yeah. the entire nerd mm -hmm. the entire nerdification of mainstream culture only happened because of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Although yeah. I, d I don't yeah. know if it's necessarily the Game of Thrones comparison, I guess. I mean, well, yeah, I'm sure well, that, also that was is, This is structured yeah. very similarly to Game of Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of mm -hmm. plot, like that you're visiting all these different houses quote unquote right That's like what you're visiting you do all these people in, the in a story like this not, i don't know no not necessarily it was, davindra it's appendices okay they could have done it any it's number appendices. of ways <laughs> for sure okay. for sure they, so i'm they, just saying um I, I think we we kind of all remember the the history of this too like uh yeah the game of thrones was a huge hit and amazon kind of wanted a big hit too um I, I think a lot of this just comes down to jeff bezos being a goddamn dork like yeah. he is a huge <laughs> lord of the yeah. rings fan so i don't think any this is really just uh, the, the benevolent, uh, you know, funding of, of a billionaire that's allowed yeah. this to happen. Same guy who said, no, The Expanse will not be canceled. Yes. Because I, like <laughs> I like it. Because I like it. I make it so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Th those are complicated things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeff Bezos recently appeared at the premiere of The Rings of Power. The Lord uh, of the Rings, The Rings of Power? How many rings yes, was he true. wearing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he says, quote, he said, he said, quote, every showrunner's dream is to get notes on early scripts and cuts from the executive chairman. They just love that. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you both. He's talking to the showrunners. I want to thank you both for listening whenever it helped. But mostly I need to thank you for ignoring me at exactly the right times. Oh, that's great. So I, yeah. Jeff Bezos should have showed up at this uh, at the premiere like freaking Xerxes from 300. <laughs> <laughs> like, you want rings? I got rings, buddy. <laughs> you know, Jeff, you were talking about how expensive the show looks. And I, I would agree with you. Yeah, there, there's very few named actors in the show, which is actually, I think, really works to the show's benefit. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. Um, because you're not like, oh, it's Kate Blanchett or, you know, oh, right. it's, uh, Hugo it's Weaving. From the, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, it's this person is Galadriel. Like, I will associate this mm -hmm. person with Galadriel from now and on. She and she is great. Morphid Clark, yeah. fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, Jeff, you're talking about how expensive the show is. And it's, um, you know, you're talking about this, uh, goblet or you know pitcher or whatever that someone took 10 hours to make what you didn't mention is that item is often never seen again for the rest of the yeah show. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like there'll be a thing and it's like oh my god look at the incredible amounts of detail and then cut away you never see the thing again and it's like and it's wild. wow like they just wild they just used it for that one shot yeah. like it's the show equivalent of they just tweeted it out like they just <laughs> they just put it for the one shot and they're not going to use it again you know it's yeah it is astonishing what they're able to accomplish from a production standpoint, given, um, again, the largest budget that's ever been spent for a season of a television show. Um, I think uh, I I'm really liking the show so far. You know, I think that uh, it, it is a stark contrast to Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and, you know, I I'm really enjoying House of the Dragon as well. I should point that out. But I think that there is an earnestness um, to the Lord of the Rings that I don't think is in uh, the Game of Thrones universe. For sure. And, and Game of Thrones is complicated and there's people in Game of Thrones who are capable of great evil and also great good uh, and it's a very brutal world. It's it's, it's right? the brutality is the thing. Yeah. And the, honestly, the difference between House of the Dragon and the original series too is like, it seems like they double down a lot of that too. And there's no, there's no like really fun character you know, like, there's no Tyrion. Uh, like, Lannister. There's no Tyrion. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. That, 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 like, yeah, it puts you in a really dour yeah. state for a I mean, long I th time. Yeah. I think that's who Matt Smith is supposed to be. 
I think he's supposed mm-hmm. to be the one that we. He's supposed to be like uh, the other Lannister, you know. Well, he, I know, he, but yeah, I think I think we are supposed to fall in love with his chaos, Ugh. you know, mm-hmm. his, his yeah. like yeah. Uh, not playing by the rules. I think that's why in this, you know, in the second episode, he doesn't go full evil. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we're. I think he is. I, my sensation, my sense is that he is he is the Tyrion, you know, because Tyrion mm-hmm. is also. Mm-hmm. You know, not the greatest guy all the time. Not know, the greatest so. guy. Yeah, but yeah. He was always fun, and he was always like above the mess in a way too. Like, yeah, I don't know. I really, yeah, love no, I, I, I agree that House of the Dragon again, a show I'm very greatly enjoying, is missing a humor element to mm-hmm. it. That that, well, that I would say of, fun element, just it, it, fun, irreverence, joy, irreverence yeah, something. Yeah. But I think with Lord of the Rings, it's like a much more simple, at least for the movies, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. a much more simple equation yeah. from my good perspective. And evil. Good versus yeah, good evil. evil. You gotta, you gotta get rid of the evil, you know. Like you gotta get rid of the. We, yeah. we're, we're part of the good. You gotta get rid of the. There's people that are on the sliding scale of good to evil, and you gotta get rid of the evil. That's kind of the mission. I yeah. am very curious how they are going to generate dramatic tension in the show, given that the main elements of the show are like elements that we already are familiar with from the, mm-hmm. the movies, mm-hmm. right? This right. is that a better call all situation. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, my hope is that they introduce a bunch of characters that we actually like that we never have met, you know, that we care about. Oh, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're they certainly have. For that. They already have. They already have. Yeah. 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 But, but like, you know, the central characters, I would say, or among the central characters are Galadriel and mm-hmm. Elrond. And we already kind of know that and they maybe obviously, somebody else. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And we already know that they all survived to the, you know, that they survived to the Lord of the Rings time timeline. Right. So. Um, so I'm very curious, like how they're going to thread that needle from a mm-hmm. storytelling perspective. Cause this story, but, this story is ultimately a tragedy, you know, of mm-hmm. like trying to do these things and create the rings and it, it all fails because humans Yeah, how did, how did the rings work out guys? You know, yeah, we, we, a great plan. we learn, we learn how the rings work out in literally the first five minutes of the fellowship yeah. of the ring movie. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like, are, are they going to be able to, to make there be dramatic tension if we already know what happens and hopefully the they introduce problem. the characters who like wield the wing real wield the rings, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the whole creation into something that's like really interesting. And I think it's very possible they could do that. So, well, it also seems that Sauron is not a disembodied eye in the sky yet. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, it's like prequels, like how did, uh, how did this, this Anakin fella turn into Darth Vader? Right, you know, I think that's right. kind of yeah, how yeah, it's yeah. going to be too, you know? Yeah. Sauron, by the way, was the original jigsaw killer. I just want to put that out there. Like leaving little marks on people at the end. Anyway. Okay. That's the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. It sounds like we all had a great time with it. Uh, Jeff, it sounds like you're ecstatic about it. I haven't been this excited about a TV show in in a while. I mean, I I just, it just, it it feels impossible, this show. It feels Mm -hmm. like you're watching a giant cinematic extravaganza. I mean, the level of, I thought the, I thought the MCU Disney Plus stuff was extravagant. This is, this is. (laughs) I mean, this. I mean, really, I'm watching. I'm watching. You know, it's such a stark contrast, Jeff. Watching She-Hulk, which honestly oof. looks like it was barely completed in time, to yeah. watching yeah. this show, it is which still is still like, being rendered as you're. But watching. I'm yeah, still being, She-Hulk it, was super expensive too. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, and again, that's no fault of the CG artists. Like that's right. the brutal schedule that they're under. It's, uh, but then comparing it to this show, where it looks like somebody labored for hours. To produce every single frame of this thing, and yeah. it's incredible. It, so. it it really does, uh, you know, get close to out Peter Jacksoning Peter Jackson. It's uh, well, that's the other thing is I was <laughs> worried that I would feel like this is Bizarro uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's not the same actors, it's not the same director, it's not the same unit, like it's not the same 
visual world is slightly different. They, they can't really nod to the movies too. Like there's a whole like legal separation right, that has right. to be it's, there. Yeah. It's not um it's not Howard Shore writing the music. It's yeah. Bear McCreary. Bear, and he's doing a great job. But it, yeah, but it, it's okay. it were it really works. I'm it like really I'm not works. I'm feeling like it is somehow part of the same universe. Yeah. While not being like a pale imitation of that universe. Yeah. Also, while yeah. to me the showrunners like the the people shepherding the series have barely have any credits. They are at least not any listed credits, right? right? They certainly yeah. not run a show like this, something this big. So, just there's so many places where this could have yeah, this could apart. have gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I I'm agree. also going to put this out there. Um, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Jeff. No, no, no. Please put it out there. I was going to say, um, possibly some of the best opening titles, like oh credit sequences good, of good all time. Stuff. That's like, where I was going as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, we both had that same transition. I wanted to bring up something that's a little tangential to you guys. It's a it's a trend I've noticed that I actually really like. Which is, have you guys noticed in the last few kind of marquee, big budget shows, the first episode doesn't have an opening title sequence? Mm, yeah, yep. same with the House of the Dragon one, as well. Right? Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. second one does. I, I can think of like three or four examples recently. And I think that's a really cool, I mean, I mean, they have the luxury of that because these are streaming shows and oftentimes multiple episodes are released uh, to start things off. And it just feels like you're welcomed into the world without being reminded it's a TV show. And then the second episode, you're like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I'm back, baby. And then it shows you the opening title sequence. You're like, yeah, I love this world already. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. I think that's really a cool trend. And I, I don't know where it started exactly, yeah. but it feels like it's in full swing. I can't remember, did the first episode of Game of Thrones even have the credits? I feel like it just started with the wall opening. Like, it, I, remember it started with, it, I believe yeah. it was a cold open. So yes. it was a cold open, but it, so it did not start with the title sequence, but I believe the title sequence was in the first episode of Game of Thrones. Right, so, right. It, it, yeah. came, it expanded it came over like time. Time. Yeah. It added. Yeah. Yeah. new locations yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. um but yeah I, I would say this i've only watched it one time so i need to watch it another six to seven times but like this has the potential to be one of the greatest opening title credit sequences of all time like mm -hmm. it's so beautiful and visually arresting i'm, uh, I'm wondering and, how much of yeah. it is cg because you know that to do that with sand you actually can do that right. physically with, yeah, with right, magnets yeah. and stuff uh, or maybe not yeah. magnets, but like shapes, uh, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. and vibration. I um, want to say it is very great for Bear McCreary to uh, to to get this, I guess, like, because I've left this man's work since Battlestar Galactica. He's had some incredible uh, musical pieces from that show. And since then, like he, he's been in a whole bunch of other he's done a lot of other shows. And just his music has not been super distinctive, but love it here. He's just perfect. fit. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you also like did Ten Cloverfield Lane as well, yes, I believe. Yes. Right? Um, yeah, with Dan Trachtenberg. So, and uh, uh, I believe um, Dan Dan texted me because I was raving about this show to him, and I, I believe a lot of the the people, the production staff that he did his uh, Black Mirror episode uh, are on this show as well. Oh, nice, nice, very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, that's the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. The first two episodes have aired. It's going to be airing weekly on Fridays. There's eight episodes total for season one. Uh, and I, I mean, regardless of your thoughts on the show, it is kind of a monumental moment in pop mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. it, the it, most it, expensive it, show yeah, of all time. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously kind of a prequel to one of the biggest film successes of all time. You know, So it's like, it is going to be a big deal in culture, regardless of whether people like it or not. I'm not saying that means you should definitely watch it, but it's worth mm -hmm. paying attention to. You should also so. definitely yeah. watch it. Yeah. I can't All believe right. it's been 20 years since those movies came out. Mm. Man. Yeah, it's wild. All right, folks. Uh, that is what we've been watching this week. Got to tell you about our sponsor, Hunt. 
a killer. Oh, I'm excited to tell you about this one. What is Hunt a Killer? Well, Hunt a Killer is a mystery entertainment brand that produces immersive narrative mystery games, books, and other experiences available for purchase at retail and online at huntakiller.com. Now, this is perfect for crime, mystery, thriller, horror fans, but really anybody that's looking to have a great time hanging out with their friends or even alone solving a mystery. They're available in a whole range of prices and game styles, including standalone, single-part mysteries, jigsaw puzzles, multi-part crime cases, and an exclusive monthly subscription membership that carries you along a big, long storyline. It's so cool. It's such an awesome game night you can do with your spouse, with, with a, a first date, or with some friends, even by yourself. You get to be the detective. You sort through evidence, piece together clues, and you solve the case with an immersive murder mystery game. You, you solve the murder. You hunt a killer, and you can start with a standalone single part crime case or jump right into the multi-chapter mystery boxes. There's so much cool stuff in here. And the items in the box are realistic. They feel authentic and they're cool. It's not just text. You're getting physical things that you, you can mess with and look at and investigate. There are digital components too. You can communicate with AI or email your contact. You have voicemail lead-ins and there are real actors that are used to convey the evidence and, and you interact with digitally. The deeply immersive story with evidence and clues and all kinds of ways to get started. There are dossiers, maps, evidence, supporting whereabouts and motivations, creating a timeline that you put together and map out where the suspects were. It's so cool. The, the more evidence you can consume, the narrower your suspect list gets, and then you have motivation to get to the very end. And you have these milestones that happen. My wife and I have had a blast with these. And part of the proceeds of Hunt a Killer go towards the Cold Case Foundation, an organization dedicated to solving real-life cold cases. Check it out. Go to huntakiller.com slash filmcast and use the code filmcast for $10 off your purchase. That is huntakiller.com slash filmcast and the promo code FILMCAST for $10 off. Okay, let's get to uh, Weekly Plugs. I was just waiting for it to restart again, because I was like, you're going to let me down, Weekly Plugs music. <laughs> weekly Plugs is the part of the show where we plug something else we've been making. Uh I will plug the fact that on the Decoding TV podcast, I'm going to be recapping the Rings of Power uh, every single week. So check out that podcast. Uh, it should be a fun time. Check it out at podcast.decodingtv.com. Wait, who's, who's your, I remember you had a special uh, co-star for that. Yeah, um, Don Marshall, who otherwise known as Obscure Lord of the Rings Facts Guy. Right. On TikTok. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's going to be the co-host of the show, and I'm really excited to have his expertise on the show. You know, <laughs> most of my TV podcasts are, are basically literally consist, I see the of, formula. consist yes. of literally one of the world's foremost experts <laughs> on a topic and some guy. Some guy. This schmuck. Me. Yeah. yeah, this schmuck. So if and you enjoy that formula. strong-armed them into doing it. <laughs> so if you enjoy that formula, check out podcast.decodingtv.com. Divin your hardware. 
Uh, your oh. weekly plug. Yeah, uh, over the Engadget, I did a guide for what to expect for Apple's iPhone 14 event, which is going to be next Wednesday. So go hop on over there and check that out. There's, uh, there's a lot of new stuff coming, especially for the iPhone 14 Pro and maybe a new like Apple Watch Pro or some, some other type of you know, name for that. It's going to be a big, big event next Wednesday. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. I don't talk about this one enough, uh, but I do uh, a show in an arena that, you know, if you listen to my video game show or this show, you, it might seem a little strange, but yeah, I do a sports show, sports, uh, for fan-controlled football, and it is good fun. We do a podcast every week. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, streamed live on Twitch and on YouTube. You can find it at twitch.tv slash FCF. It's also released now as a podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Uh, fan-controlled show, although the name changes every week because the fans control it. Um, and uh, if you uh, wanted to hear the uh, more of my tale of running the uh, the Hood to Coast 200-mile relay and my woes uh, therein, uh, I actually made a video, uh, a short video uh, during the race. Each, each leg of the race, I shot and talked as I was running uh, and edited that together. And that premiered on the most recent episode of the Fan Controlled Show, which I believe is called... Um, the ink and toner life, something like that. Um, <laughs> uh, so check that out. If you want to see that video of me actually uh, in excruciating pain running um, uh, for 31 hours, you can check it out there. All right. Uh, those are our weekly plugs. Of course, we want to plug the podcast as well. Uh, if you want to support this show, you can always go to patreon.com slash film podcast and sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks. Uh, and we really appreciate it. People who are supporting us at patreon.com slash film podcast are literally helping to keep the show going. So if you're a member, thank you so much uh, because we couldn't do the show without you. Of course, we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. Uh, so if you want to support us without doing that, you can do a couple things. First of all, you can recommend stuff for us to watch using hashtag slash tag on Twitter. You can also uh, leave a review or a star rating for us over on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast platform of choices. Guys, I've heard some rather upsetting news recently, which mm. is that I think I read this morning or recently Spotify is testing comments on podcasts. Ugh. Oh boy. So you'll, you'll soon be able to come. So leave some positive comments over there on the film cast. Won't you on Spotify? If you have a chance, That's but what anyway. the internet needs is more comments. Oh yeah. No, not yeah. enough. Yeah. Because comments have never been associated with anything terrible. <laughs> Um, but anyway, if you do leave a comment, please leave a positive one. Put some positivity in the world for us and or a star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, let's get to our review of 3,000 Years of Longing. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate... Who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So, what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? Welcome to the Filmcast review of 3,000 Years of Longing. I'm David Chen, broadcasting with Devinder Hardware and Jeff Kanata. I'm going to read the plot summary 
of 3,000 Years of Longing from IMDb, a lonely scholar on a trip to Istanbul discovers a jinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. George Miller obviously has created one of the greatest films of all time, Mad Max Fury Road. This Several is his, of them, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. yeah. This is his much-anticipated follow-up. Happy feet. Yes. <laughs> much-anticipated follow-up to that movie. Uh, the trailers promise this uh, romp through time, I would argue. You know, like a very wild and, and wacky romp through time that was full of adventure and uh, thrills and heartbreak. And the movie, I think, is quite different than what the trailers promise. Given that, Devinder Hardor, I'm curious, what did you think overall 3,000 Years of Longing? Oh, I I love this movie. I adore this movie. Um, it's it's not quite a romp, but it's certainly an adventure. And uh, something that, you know, uh, is really about the nature of storytelling and the power of storytelling and why we do it. And just thinking of, like, George Miller doing this as well, too. Like, I, I had my... I had like some concerns going into because a story like this, any story about Jin, any stories that kind of end up covering, especially uh, stuff that happened in the Middle East uh, long ago, there's always the like threat of Orientalism and just like making things uh, like exoticizing everything. And you could argue this movie does quite a bit of that, but I also think like it is, it's fantastic. Like I loved the the interactions. I, I loved like the the core stuff. Like this is kind of just a bottle movie. For, for much of the time between Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. But I love the flashbacks to those earlier stories too, because they're also visually lush and fun and in, like just interesting and fun to watch too. But there's also a deep sense of like what the title is getting at. Like this is kind of a deep sense of longing and regret that this, uh, this Jin has had to experience through his, uh, at least for the last 3000 years. And I thought that was all really compelling and to see where it all goes at the end too. I thought, it just really worked for me. I don't think it's going to work for everybody, but it's a very specific tone that really kind of teeters on both fun and melancholy that I just really appreciated. So yeah, I adored this movie. I cannot wait to see it again, hopefully on the big screen. I'm trying to like push everybody I know to see it on the big screen because it's, it is just so lush, you know, the visuals that you love from Mad Max Fury Road. Um, a lot of this movie is set in a hotel room, but a lot of it is stuff like happening in, you know, ancient palaces and stuff. And like seeing that on a big screen was certainly spectacular. I agree with you about the visuals. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched this movie in Dolby Atmos. And I'm so jealous. It was a yeah. really impressive experience. Uh, it looks great. It looks kind of on the caliber of a Mad Max Fury Road during some <laughs> scenes. Um, some of the scenes mm -hmm. actually like you, if you watch a trailer, like it visually resembles Fury Road in some ways oh, yeah, as well. Absolutely. But also um, like the the quirkiness of like Jean-Pierre Junet or something like very, mm, very Amelie, like that yeah. sort of like quirkiness is there too. Yeah. It's a very intense hotel room. Mm -hmm. So intense. Yeah. They uh add Max comparison to the hotel room. <laughs> very intense. <laughs> Jeff Canada. <laughs> Jeff Canada, what did you think of three thousand years of longing? Well, Dave, I guess you could say. What I think of 3,000 Years of Longing is best summed up in the form of a limerick. The visual and auditory production devise, defies category. And though at first glance it involves some romance, it's more a love letter to story. Hmm. Got it. Interesting meter there at the end there. Shouldn't it be, it's more a love letter to story? <laughs> <laughs> The, no, you know? no, it shouldn't be like that. <laughs> no. All right. Who's Jeff. the author of this limerick, dude? No. Um, I liked this movie a lot. I, I did not 
enjoy where it ends. I did not like the uh, the the third act. The, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. I don't think it sticks the landing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, man, I love a good yarn, and this movie spins a yarn. I love. I had just hung on every word. I mean, so much of this movie is just Idris Elba narrating a story like mm-hmm, telling me story mm-hmm. time even and, before you get the visuals of those scenes yeah 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 and and it is i mean it, it's a great yarn it is it's got wonderful uh, sort of fairy tale aspect to it these incredible um locations and uh love stories and 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 sweeping uh grand gestures of of you know longing of course mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just, I hung on every word of that. I, I was mm-hmm. completely drawn in to the story, to the telling of the story. I felt like I was Tilda Swinton listening. And, and I loved her character too. So smart, so whip smart, and always uh, one step ahead, which mm-hmm. movies often don't do. You I love a character who's like, I've seen this movie before. So yes. I'm going to just like mm. get around all, all these tricks. You're, you're a tricky genie. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Her, her uh, confidence, her... Uh, intelligence, her comfort in herself, which is part of the reason I didn't like the end, because I feel like all of that gets betrayed by the end. Uh, and we'll go into that in spoilers, but uh, there is a lot of this movie to like. And I, 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 it's so unconventional. It's so unlike anything else that it really is worth seeing and worth seeing on a big screen. It, it is beautiful. It is, uh, uh, you know, it just is, you get pulled into this, sumptuous world of uh, so tactile and sensory it is um beautiful filmmaking i just mm-hmm. wish it sort of added up to more for me because i felt like it really dropped the ball at the end it, it fell flat for me at the end and i think that really detracted from my overall enjoyment of the experience because i kept being drawn along the yeah. following that yarn of story and it just didn't it, it felt like it fizzled by the end for me i, I had the exact same experience as you jeff i was watching this movie i'm like this is incredible this is like definitely going to be one of my top 10 films of the year it's like it's an incredible testament to the power of storytelling idris elba's narrating like 90 percent of the movie i'm like oh my gosh yes this is so like i'm hearing the narration i'm watching it play out on the screen i'm like so invested in this yeah the visuals are incredible mm-hmm. the premise is awesome score is amazing junkie like junkie xl does this like very it's yeah. a core theme that lasts throughout the entire movie it is so resonant yeah i it is very rare that i'll watch a movie that I will think is so amazing, completely blow it in the final third. Like in my opinion, just completely I agree. blows it in the final third. Like for a variety of reasons, like not, not even just one reason, like one plot thing happens, but just like the way in which, like just how much time is devoted to the final act of it. You know, just, I, it literally feels like they ran out of money. It feels like they're making this movie and everything's chugging along. And then it's like, Oh, and we're done. By the way, we're done. I don't know if you're aware of that, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, what What was the point of all that? You know? And I was really, really disappointed by how it, how it wraps up. Um, so we'll talk about that, but it's it's really hard to kind of share in depth my thoughts on the movie without talking about, like, why it's it's complicated at the end, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, but up until that point, it was one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. You know, it was like, <laughs> this is so good and beautiful. And of course, George Miller, visionary, one of the few people who I don't mind the word visionary being appended to his name, mm-hmm. uh, made it. He's earned but, it by this point. Yeah. 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 All right, folks. Uh, 
why don't we get to spoilers? So let's do spoilers for 3,000 Years of Longing starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I want to read this email from Marlon who writes into slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Marlon from Dover, Delaware. Um, I'm going to read part of his email because uh, I think it addresses something that we, we should at least mention, like one of the dynamics of the movie. Marlon writes, quote, In I Dream of Genie, that show was all about a romantic entanglement between the genie and her master. Mm. However, that show made it clear from the very first episode, genie was not a slave and her love interest did or, uh, did or could not control her. She was free from the very first episode and was not beholden to her so-called master. That is not the case in George Miller's film. The Jinn makes it clear he is beholden to Alethea. He's basically enslaved her. He's basically begging for his freedom. He's desperate for it. For there to be a romantic relationship between the Jinn and Alethea, the Jinn should have been given his freedom first. But that's not what happens. What happens is Alethea wishes for the Jinn to fall in love with her. This is very problematic because historically white slave owners or masters who would have sexual relationships with their slaves were committing a crime, if not officially so. Slave masters have, having intercourse with their slaves is akin to sexual assault or rape. This is because the slaves have no choice. They're basically being forced into sexual situations with their master. Here, the jinn is akin to a slave and Alethea akin to a master. Using her to make him fall in love and subsequently have sex with her is tantamount to sexual abuse. If the film had acknowledged this or addressed it, that would be one thing. But we're, we're meant to be swept up by the romance of her basically raping him. That is absolute, That is what absolutely soured me to this film, end quote. Um, I, I do think that the racial dynamics of this movie make the yep. final... Mm-hmm final act really unfortunate in terms of the optics uh, and the dynamics at play that are basically, you know, unacknowledged. She does acknowledge like, Hey, it's bad mm-hmm. for me to make you love me, but like, yes. there's no, there's nothing yeah. beyond that. Like the, the race is not part of that conversation. It's just like, it's bad to make any person, no matter what race they are, love you. Right. Um, but also I just, true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's also true. But anyway, I, I just wanted to mention that that is kind of uh, an undercurrent of, uh, of what's going on in the finale. But putting that aside, you know, putting that extremely huge bag of uh, sort of associations and, and things yeah. aside. I also don't think the movie ever says that was a good thing. Like it's correct. It's a choice. I mean, it's yeah, a choice I, and it's a bad, like it's, it's a choice she's wrestling with because we're introduced to this character as somebody who's like, Oh, I've got my life put together. I don't, I have no wish for anything, you know? And for her to, for her one wish to end up being this thing, which is ultimately, I want your freedom. Um, maybe I think the ending could have balanced the fact that that was more of an issue than just like this uh, grand romantic gesture. And I do think like maybe it kind of settles on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But at the, at the very end of the movie, there's still kind of, uh, there's still a lot of love there, you know? Um, I think uh, yeah. the takeaway is supposed to be that they have this yeah. transcendental right. yeah. relationship that is, that is, you know, spans space time and is, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, th- these two souls are united. And I, I did not feel that at all. Yeah, I, I, I could have been set up a lot, lot better. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. mean, it felt like there needed to be another 30 minutes in this movie where yes. like yeah. of them living together and the relationship developing in some way. Instead, it feels like he basically gets there and then they decide, I think because of radio waves or whatever like that's causing well, he's, his, he's like his, electromagnetic or something right. and like, like for for a person to for like him to be in the modern world where we're covered by this stuff like it, it is wild that he goes to the large hadron collider he's like <laughs> ha- hangs out 
I thought like, you would love that part, Devendra. He's, no, he's it, going it to like the Hadron yeah. Collider and like SETI, basically. It is very interesting. Yeah. Like uh, he is so interested in technology too, because like I don't know, like in a sense, he defines himself by that too. So his his whole experience of that world was fascinating. But I yeah. agree. I feel like the ending needed more. I like I like a good sort of bittersweet ending too, because it's like, yeah, okay. Eventually, she kind of lets him go, although we're never we never really see that fully. I think, um, but the this sort of like bittersweet thing where like occasionally they can be together except he can only take it for so long and then she's gonna die right like he's immortal she's not like there there is a lot more to mind there that this movie never really did yeah and and Devendra you know to to just to respond to your point about like I I agree the movie's not positioning it as she's doing a good thing yeah but I don't think the movie fully grapples with how bad of a thing it is yeah that yeah, she's yeah. Doing. that's saying, like, that's certainly an issue so yeah. I agree the movie's not saying she's great for doing this but it's not like yeah. theoretically what she's doing is also quite terrible and yeah. the movie doesn't that's not the tone of the movie i I think that's great it's more like when i've seen some discussion about this movie me like oh yeah this third act is problematic okay let's what what does that mean you know what what do you mean by that and let's break that down a little too because it's not just that the movie is not supporting this decision but it's not like actively it's not exploring and mining like what a lot of this means and certainly the texture of it it's not fully i i don't think fully grappling with the implications of that decision so i also uh, think it comes out of nowhere for her like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it sources mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. falling in love with him at all. It, mm-hmm. it really felt like a, a whiplash turn on a dime moment to me where mm-hmm. all of a sudden she's like, you know, I want her, this. All, yeah, I want all this. The, the whole yeah. movie, I'm content. I'm happy with mm-hmm. my life. I like who I am. And I love that. I've You, you don't see characters like that in media. Mm-hmm. The, you don't, the old, yeah, I agree. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. You don't see characters that are uh centered and uh, and confident alone are happy with their lives don't yearn for grander and better i thought that was such a a compelling and interesting angle that the movie takes is like you've got three wishes which is the thing that every human being has has fantasized about and here mm-hmm. you have the one person who's like i'm good i'm good I don't need <laughs> it, it's funny watching the show versus uh, what is happening in what we do in the shadows this season where a gin is also a major presence and many many wishes is also like a major presence um just funny seeing those things kind of mm. side by side the, the that moment to me though jeff seemed like it was kind of centered on what she does as a character like she is more of a historian right like she she is somebody who's been researching the history of stories and there's a lot we can talk there about the ideas of cultural appropriation and things like that i like your story I want it to be my story. Mm. And I kind of read it as sort of something like that. It was like, I like this. I want this kind of love. How for me? My wish is for it to be for me. Mm. Um, I yeah. think the movie could have grappled a lot very, more. Very, with, like, avatar, very Avatar-esque. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, of, of someone who comes from an, out, an outsider who wants you know the, this culture to be their story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it worked, for, it, it worked for me, Jeff Kanata, but barely. Mm-hmm. It worked for me for two reasons. Number one, uh, the stories that are being told before that point are so good. Like I can understand, oh, like these aren't really good stories. And like, I can understand why someone would uh, be caught up in them and be like, I want some of that for myself. And right. also Idris Elba, very, yeah. very good looking man, you know? Very, very good looking like, man. Oh yeah. yeah. I know so, it's but, but yeah, I, w- I would agree <laughs> with you beyond those two things though. Like it does <laughs> kind of come out of nowhere where she's like, I want that love. And yeah. You know, well, that's I, why I, I feel yeah. like it, it, the movie I, by the end, it feels like it's positioning it as this grand love story between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I definitely came away thinking more what Devendra was just saying, where she was just she was just hearing about love stories and going, I want that for me. 
and I have the power to make it so. So it felt completely artificial and unearned. Mm -hmm. It felt, it, it did not, I did not feel the way that I think the movie wanted me to feel is, oh yes, they're together. He's back. They're walking hand in hand. It's beautiful. I felt like, oh no, this is wrong and bad. This is wrong, and, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's an incomplete story is how I feel yeah. about the ending. Like they had some ideas there and they just either for budget or for whatever reason, cause he's making Furiosa as well. So maybe he was constrained in terms of time for that. Mm -hmm. Um, it is an incomplete thought. I feel like they could have set up the fact that she, maybe what she's saying is I'm fully content. You know, I don't need for anything that is sometimes a put on for a lot of people too. Like that is the mask yeah, you wear. Right, right. And the movie course. does kind of give us that. It's like she had a husband, right. it hints at, um, you know, they had infidelity. Some, yeah, all that stuff. some, well, no, I think it was more like um, they fell apart, and then he—I think after the relationship, like he was with another girl, woman. But I can't, I can't, I, I didn't fully mm. see the timeline. We did see that yeah. they were pregnant at some point, and something happened, and like that relationship just fizzled. So, like clearly, there are elements of like regret and things she's regretted in her life. Right. And the movie could have explored that and like thread that needle better to right. what she's wishing for. Yeah, I do. I did really love the visual of like putting someone like belongings and everything in a box and like putting it on the yeah. shelf. Like that's yeah. a very powerful it's, visual idea. You it know? relates mm -hmm. to the being stuck in a bottle as well, bottling mm -hmm. things up, yeah. containing things. You know, I think there's all that metaphor happening as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that another huge problem with the movie is I mean, first of all, it's a movie about stories that I don't think ends up being a particularly good story. That's uh, that's very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. There's I a lot of good stories in it. Just there's not yeah, the stories in it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my like god, eighty percent of it. Yeah. Some of those stories are so good and incredible. And then the the thing is, there's this massive buildup to what are her three wishes going to be? Massive buildup, right? And and all this talk about well, every time someone's ever wished for things, it's always gone badly, which is like. I didn't. I didn't so even great. realize that was true. I was like, so "Wow, smart. I guess that is a fact." Like, I love that moment where she's like, yeah. "Okay, I'm gonna do it." I wish this was in my mouth, and she puts it in her mouth. I wish, <laughs> and then she like just does them all three. Yeah, I thought that yeah, was yeah. so rad. Yeah, that was awesome, and and I love that idea of. And so it's like this massive buildup, and then finally we get like an hour to fifteen hour and fifteen minutes into the movie, and I'm like, "Oh, finally the wishes are gonna start," and then it just completely sputters out. Like, yeah, there's nothing. So I, as far as I can tell, wish one is like love me. Wish two is speak. Like she says, I wish you to speak right at the end there. And yeah. then wish three is I guess she frees him. And like those latter two wishes happen so quickly and with yeah. so little yeah, 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 yeah. fanfare and buildup that I'm like, yeah, it just the whole movie felt like a massive buildup to no payoff. And yep. It's too bad. I love the buildup. It was a great buildup, but it's like, ugh, the end just. And then that that the sort of epitaph, the you know the or the epilogue, I should say, the the you know the denouement of yes. her walking and him showing up. I just felt like it was a nothing burger. It was it just felt like a complete nothing burger. It was mm -hmm. it, it was okay. How am I supposed to feel about this? Right, exactly. Because it's like. I was honestly stunned when I saw the end. I was like, the movie's over already? Like, that, that <laughs> yeah. was what my reaction was. I was not like, oh, what a nice little moment they have. I was like, that's it? That's the whole movie? You know, that was yeah. my reaction. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I feel yeah. like they, she starts off by saying, like, I'm going to tell you this story is a fairy tale. And I think the way to wrap it up is sort of like the bittersweet ending you will get at a fairy tale or something. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, guys. in we, concept, we the ending is not bad, yes. right? In yeah. concept, yeah, yeah. but it's like, it's all, all the build up. I will say one of my favorite parts of the movie 
is, or a couple of my favorite parts of the movie is like when Tilda Swinton's character, Althea, says things that make me realize uh, uh, things about our society. Like stories about three wishes yeah. generally are lessons about why you shouldn't get your three wishes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And also um, she starts telling the story as like a fairy tale of like, you know, back when humankind could fly through the air in these metal chariots yeah. and conjure yeah. love songs out of air with metal devices. It's like, wow, like. Yeah, it actually is amazing what humankind has been able to accomplish in the course uh-huh. of the last, you know, hundred years. Yeah. Um. So I did like that part as well, and and also um. That that kind of presentation she gave at that school or whatever is like one of the best mo- in movie presentations I've ever seen. <laughs> Just in terms of <laughs> like, there's two slide work. Yeah. <laughs> there's two massive screens, each displaying independent, like very visually striking imagery. I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is giving me ideas. I need to like write this down for like whenever I do a presentation. It's also the thing we're talking about too, like how basically the ancient mythology has become superheroes and that is kind of a dominant storytelling force in our society right now. This movie could be about so much. I I want to shout out an article, a great one from Joshua Rivera at Polygon called Every George Miller Movie is a Mad Max Movie. It really dives into his whole thinking and like kind of all his protagonists are these sort of dreamers who are sort of rebelling against society or like trying to trying to do something against a society that's kind of constraining them. So that's a good piece. And yeah, I, I just think it's fantastic that George Miller can kind of use his clout from Fury Road to be like, I want to do this little thing about this gym, you know, like even mm-hmm. if it's not fully successful, like this movie shouldn't exist. I feel the same way about this movie, the way I feel about Lord of the Rings, to be honest, like whatever I know this isn't like super high budget, but certainly to get these visual effects to, to kind of get some of the star power here, this is a hard sell for any other director or writer. So the fact that it exists in even in any form right now, um, I, I still think it's pretty astounding. It is a really cool <laughs> convention to have one character narrating what is this grand story mm-hmm. and have another character who is the smartest person in the world, in the world about story. Commenting in- on it, indicting it mm-hmm. at every turn, right? Yeah. Just completely um, poking holes in, you know, that, that sequence where, where he's, she's like, you know, every, every story about wishes is a cautionary tale about not doing wishes. And he's like, Oh no, let me tell you this one. And then she's like, you just told me a story where the theme is don't do the wish. She's like, you just, if they hadn't done the wish, everybody would have been fine. I love it's, it is, it is attacking itself as mm-hmm. it goes along, which is mm-hmm. so much smarter. It, it feels, um, you know, like Socrates, the, the Socratic method is happening in the context of the movie where it is challenging itself and poking holes in its own, its own storytelling. I thought that was so cool. I did feel kind of head faked. Uh, I loved all the stories, but I did feel kind of head faked by that one with the prince who goes insane, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and the whole time it's like, I was able to reach the prince when he was a kid. And then, but then he got involved with other things. And it was only until decades later. And then I'm waiting for the prince to like intersect with him again. Never happens. Never happens. Yeah. So it's like, that, well, that is a sort of like, it's the time scale of that. It's like, oh, this is, it was like hundreds <laughs> of years. He was like, yeah. I, got, I got this one spark of hope. And he's just, he's a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, My only yeah. hope is the guy who drove himself yeah. insane. And I'm like, that's it. I'm stuck here for another couple hundred years. That sense of like, I definitely got the sense of like, uh, I was stuck under that freaking stone for another several hundred years until this t- total accident happened. Yeah. So I think mm. more as a story of his, it's really the story of the djinn and like his just the the frustrations of his life you know but also 
it's him always trying to want to like be free in a sense, but also like ending up falling for his uh, his subjects or his uh, the people who end up commanding him. So yeah. there is something heartbreaking about that. Just the life that this being has left has led is kind of heartbreaking. And even right now, he's left with uh, the last person he's had a connection with. He can't ever really be around. It's uh, it's mm. sad his story. Yeah. Also, extremely random note, between this movie and The Green Knight, really good time period for movies set in olden times Mm -hmm. that have graphic close-ups of fluids in hands. (laughs) Just going to put that out there. Okay. Sounds like your letterboxed uh, (laughs) category is all all summed up there, Dave. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Any other thoughts on 3,000 Years of Longing? Uh, I I wanted to love this movie. (laughs) I was really close to loving it. Yeah. Just if, if it had had a little bit more time to develop some of those themes in the last third maybe deal with some of the more problematic elements i would mm-hmm. be a huge fan but um yeah i'm not in a year where with stories that kind of feel like the, i think of something like everything everywhere all at once has the same sort of sweeping grand a uh, trans-dimensional trans time mm-hmm. feel to it you know i felt like this could stand shoulder to shoulder with them and it ultimately i think will be much more forgotten by me yeah. personally uh, than those other movies. And and it's unfortunate because it, it feels similarly ambitious and unconventional. And I wish it could be, uh, you know, next to those other movies in my thoughts. Yeah. And it just, instead of like a be. crowning achievement of George Miller's career, it's going to be like, Oh, what an interesting footnote. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That he made this movie between the two Mad Max mu- movies. So, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's still really impressive that George Miller and everyone, who made this movie, made a movie. All right, folks. Uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of The Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from Varsity Blue in the Midnight. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week, it's a reckoning. Folks. oh boy not gonna be good the for chickens are coming home to roost the shoe is on the other foot we're literally the inviting about to guests back on our show to mock and belittle us <laughs> mm-hmm. it's time probably so it's time to see what happened with the summer movie wager mm. I think it's a huge, mi- huge mystery. You all know what happens. So. Huge mystery. You know, I, I I don't know which one of us is going to win. It's a close one, guys. <laughs> it's a close one, guys. But. Yeah, our plan next week is to deliver you the summer movie wager results episode. We will be uh, bringing heaping amounts of crow with us. (laughs) And a hat. And a hat for me. And a hat. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Jeff, you got to work on that hat, okay? Oh, yeah. You got to eat it on camera. Toughen up my stomach. (laughs) All right, folks. Uh, So that's what's going on next week here on the podcast. Uh, Should be an exciting time. We'll see you next week. Um, And also... I should point out that uh, I'm still learning how to play the closing theme music, guys. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. Um, well done. Thank well done. you. Keep and banking. I'm just going to talk right up to the end, and there it begins. <laughs>